following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of Retro Pop. You know, for bi-weekly pop culture talk every other week right here on the network at BICBP-radio.com. My name is Matt Johnson, one of your hosts alongside me for today's episode, not for every episode. What am I talking about? Uh, the one, the only Mr. Johnny Townsend. Johnny, good morning, my friend. How are you? do 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 I am excited. We're talking some, uh, we're talking a, a legend in the video game music category. And uh, Matt, me and you both kind of dig video games. So very excited about this. Uh, it, it's it's going to be fun. Uh, this is a, well, we'll get into this in my personal history later, but this is, uh, this is a person that I have a lot of respect for, though. Man, I really, it's times like this when we cover guys like this, and I'm very mad at myself for how I can't pronounce words, <laughs> especially when it's a, in a different language. Yes, uh, uh, we have struggled with that since episode one, and honestly, in our personal lives beyond that. <laughs> uh, we are, Johnny, bring up a good point. You, you are right. We love video games. We really do. And the older that we've gotten, I think we've appreciated the art of oh, yeah. the video games, everything that goes into it versus just looking at these things face value, it's like, oh, wow, character design, music, story, you know, gameplay, all that stuff goes hand in hand. And it's actually really, really magical to see what, it, you know, uh, we're seeing a finished product. We don't get to see how much work goes into these games. And it's honestly, yeah. it's it's surreal when you get to dig up the different um, aspects of what makes a video game as well as it is. So, um, yes, I am very honored, excited uh, to discuss that my personal favorite video game composer and probably, I mean, I, I, I don't have this like deep knowledge of every composer and stuff that has ever lived, but out of the ones that I do know, he's a top, he's a top three, like maybe even top, top two. Yeah. That's, that's how much I, I, I truly admire uh, the work of Nobuo Yomatsu, who uh, is, who we're going to be covering today. So uh, let's hop into it. Lots to talk about. And uh, let's uh, discuss our personal history with Nobuo Uematsu. Johnny, we'll start off with you. How familiar are you with uh, Nobuo Yomatsu's uh, body of work? Well, obviously, I'm very familiar with the Final Fantasy games. Uh, I, all right, so here's <laughs> jot disclaimer here. <laughs> I have tried multiple times to get into different ones of Final Fantasy, especially the uh, the older ones for like the Nintendo and Super Nintendo for those systems, and. Overall, they're just not my cup of tea. I know that people. You're love not an them. RPG guy, no. 
I like some RPGs. Like I love Earthbound. Just throwing an example out there, Fair. but uh, but it's but it's like uh, it's got to be. I don't know. I'm just so weird, but uh, I definitely appreciate them. And I have friends in my life, you included, who adore those games. So uh, I know I'm the one missing out. I'm very aware of that. But <laughs> what I will say is one of the things that for me really stood out on those games was the music. The music, I, if you even just listen to the songs, even if you're like me and you can't get into the games, you can tell that that music is is fantastic. It's it they feel, you know what the fact that even on the Nintendo games where you're really limited with what you can do, especially compared to now, yeah, uh, the fact that he could take music and honestly make it feel almost like it's a movie, right? Is incredible. I mean, what a gift that is, and he is most certainly a legend and one of the things that really stands out to me is growing up uh, one of my closest pals chris uh he i know a lot of chris's by the way you do like, i, I have was a, about to say i'm like you grew up with chris chavez no not, not, <laughs> not that chris different chris and uh he love and he also loves final fantasy and he would he would uh have the soundtracks right so I would listen to those every once in a while uh, when me and him are hanging out or something. And man, they are so good. Uh, it really helps too that I have a love. I honestly have a real love for um, epic orchestral type music. Yes. And that's what this dude excels in. <laughs> uh, so uh, and this is, uh, this is a hot take, hot take Johnny right here coming out. Uh the games I will probably never ever be able to get into them, but man, this his music is just insanely good, and I will forever ever say, uh, for me personally, I think the music's better than the games. <laughs> you know, that's, I, for me. that's yeah. a it, that is that is spite that is quite the spiciest of takes, my friend. Um, <laughs> trust me, trust me. We uh, oh Richard Bliss, the sister show to this. Trevor and I covered what is considered one of the best i mean even probably even one of the top nintendo games by itself final fantasy three slash six the yes. numbers are weird yeah and uh man i i gave it i gave it over like I, we we approved it which means we both gave it over a five out of ten but like it wasn't a high number for me and i definitely heard about it <laughs> and i get it man because that's how i feel when there's a game that i absolutely adore and somebody else just doesn't get it you know like, so I understand that aspect of it, but I adored the music in it. So, yeah, it's uh, it is good stuff. It was, you know, very impressionable for me, you know, as a young child, like growing up playing uh, video games. You know, I, I played I played a lot of video games over my lifetime and as a kid, you know, they're, they're almost come off as like a dime a dozen in a way. But when I started playing Final Fantasy, I was just I I. And I know we did do a Final Fantasy episode before too, but you know I was so taken aback by this the the stylizing it the the open worldness to it. But man, that music stood out. That music stood out, and it got so like addicting. Like I was very addicted to this music, where to the point where six, seven, eight year old me was humming like the tunes. Like, and when I played Final Fantasy, 
like I, I you know, just playing make believe or whatever, right? You, you pretend you're playing Final Fantasy. I would hum the music. That's how addicting this was. And I, it wasn't like that for a lot of other songs for me, especially in the world of video games. So uh, I think the first album, the only the only album that I bought was Final Fantasy IX's uh, album. I actually bought a CD because I didn't realize that these came on CDs. To me back then, video games were such a, like, it felt like such a taboo thing that video game soundtracks felt weird. Yeah. If that makes sense. So when I actually went out and seen it, I'm like, oh my God, they actually put these in stores. Like, this is crazy. Like, now you can find like video game toys and stuff all the time. Back then, when, when you and I were growing up, it wasn't a very, it wasn't a very popular thing. I remember it being a big deal when back in the days when you would pre order a game and it would come with physical stuff. Yes. I remember it being a big deal for me if it came with uh, like a, a soundtrack because some of them would do that. Right. Uh, so I actually have a couple of soundtracks because of that. And those things would get constantly repeated for me. I, lo- I love, well, I love music in general, but uh, video game music just, uh, I've always like appreciated the art form for it because you're not only just trying to uh, make music for the game, but it's got to like fit the game. It's got to enhance uh, the the what you're seeing on screen, and it's got to fit and make sense, right? So there's yeah. a lot of, and you got to work within the parameters of whatever video game system is that's going to be on, uh, and th- that's just to me a lot of uh, of situations that really make the fact that you can create these incredible sounding landscapes. Uh, is just makes even more incredible to me. So, yeah, yeah, no doubt, man, no doubt. So, but yeah, so I, I kept like, like like when we first got our computer, um, which you know was a little bit after. Maybe I bought the Final Fantasy Nine CD. I was looking this guy's name up, looking at you know trying to see who the guy and his name kept popping up. Nobuo Yomatsu. I'm like, okay, like this is all him. Like Final Fantasies one through nine and parts of ten and some of the other ones. Like this is all him. And I was just, I was so amazed. I, I was so amazed. What I loved about it too, especially was that, uh, you know, I, I like to say this about Disney music, that there's a song for every mood, feeling, emotion. Um, you know, really there's a song for everything. I feel like if you play through the Final Fantasy games and then you listen to that soundtrack, you can see, you can feel it that way. Yeah, you'll I, find something that, that fits. I was literally on a cruise about a month ago. And I messaged Johnny in the middle of, a cru- of the cruise. I was sitting, yes. on, I was sitting on uh, like a hammock thing uh, on the boat, just catching some sun. And I was listening to Final Fantasy albums. And I go, Johnny, I, we need to talk about this guy. Cause I was sitting there again, like we're in the open water, right? We're sailing in the open water. And I was listening to traveling, like the traveling world map music. And it was so upbeat and fun. And it put me in a good mood. You know, uh, there's times where I work out and I listen to the battle music because it's so they pump you up. Yeah, it pumps you up. The rhythm, the, yeah. the bass to it, it just everything. And you also, while you're listening to it, you connect and you remember where you heard the the song in, in the games. So it just adds emotional con. You know, it adds context to all the music. I think I think me and you and I feel like I can talk for you in this. Uh, we're also the kind of guys I definitely did this uh, when a movie had a score that really stood out to me 
like Lord of the Rings is mm-hmm. one that's just popping in my head real quick, or um, the Nolan Batman movies did it for me. Yes. Uh, like just the I would uh, obviously Star Wars. Uh, those scores where like there's no, uh, you know, you're not going to find any. Uh, I don't want to like put any artists down, but you won't find any like uh, uh, Beyonce or whatever on on those, right? It's all like orchestral type stuff. Um, I freaking love that stuff, and I would buy those albums. I would search those out. For sure. I feel like you would do the same thing. Yeah, I mean, I have a few. I, I had a few Star Wars albums growing up. I used to listen to John Williams. You know, it's yeah. probably and go back to my original statement about where I'm ranking orchestral guys. It's it's probably John Williams and Nobuo Yamatsu, like one and two or one A one B. That's yeah. like that's a whole. But but yeah, that that's really what it is. It's it, you appreciate it. Yeah. I By the way, the, John I, Williams, I'm sure we'll cover at some point. We definitely we have to. We, we have absolutely to. have yeah. to. That man's track record is even more amazing than this one. But, but yeah, it, it's. I, I, I mean, I left the Batman when I went to go see the Batman. I left and I looked up the the, the Batmobile car chase thing, and that shit was. I do the same it, thing. It shit slapped. <laughs> you know what I mean? I do the same thing. I did the same thing. Yeah, uh, so uh, I so remember. I remember uh, like uh, watching. Uh, the Avengers, the end game. Uh, I can't remember which one it was, but the portal scene was the portal scene. Uh, it might have been. I'm blanking now when I'm bringing it up, but I just remember like, um, the end, the the ending of the first part where it's just all like just dread sounding. And man, it's just like, I was like, I have to find this, (laughs) yeah, because it's so good. Absolutely. I, I same exact way. If it's memorable, I'm gonna look it up right away and I'm gonna listen to the crap out of it. I I mean, me and you just, uh, you know. They recently released a trailer for the upcoming Obi One series, and me and you were both nerding out over the the duel of the fates, mm-hmm. the John Williams score from you know episode one. And uh, I mean, that's just kind of the dudes we are. <laughs> that's that's exactly who we are. No shame in that at all. No. But um, but yeah, super familiar with Nibu's work. He, you know, we're gonna get into his history in just a moment, but it's powerful stuff. It was the first illegally downloaded music I ever downloaded uh wow. that's a, that's really cool that you remember that i don't remember who mine was uh spoiler alert uh i had quite a number of burn cds <laughs> yeah i when i when i got a nice hp pavilion laptop or not laptop it was a h no it was a hp whatever the big bulky computer it wasn't a laptop yeah. and uh man the first chance i got i looked up final fantasy music and i was just download 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 <laughs> and my parents were pissed because <laughs> viruses <laughs> the viruses got me every time so yeah, i'm not any better because i definitely had some halo music downloaded on mine <laughs> oh, so good so good but uh that is that for our personal history let us jump into the uh the life and times of uh today's subject nobuo yomatsu Alrighty, so Mr. Yamatsu was born March 21st, 1959 in Kochi, 
Kochi Prefecture, Japan. Nailed it. Uh, beautiful. <laughs> thank you. Uh, really smart dude. You know, growing up, he, I guess it's a little, more, a little bit more common now, but he's a self-taught musician. I don't know if people realize that. Well, he didn't take lessons, like formal lessons, anything. He read, did his homework, and taught himself to play the piano around 11 years old which is amazing. Right. I mean, nowadays artists are self-taught, right? Johnny, I'm sure you're, you would consider your, you might consider yourself self-taught in the, in the drawing category, kind of just draw and feel it out. Am I accurate with that? I, I think most people in any creative outlet, they're, they're kind of, they have like a little spark of, of um, like talent. That's just there that they're just kind of blessed with. And then they kind of just run with it. I mean, obviously you're right. Like, obviously I'm influenced by artists that I like. Right. And I'm influenced by art that I like. Uh, and I definitely have taken art classes and stuff before, but I, you know, I've been drawing goofy pictures since I was like five years old. So uh, yeah, you most certainly are right. Like my, I still remember the first thing I ever tried to draw was a Ninja Turtle and uh, like I just said, memory just burns in me, but I'm very jealous of anyone because I love music so much. I'm very jealous of anyone who has any shred of musical talent. <laughs> it's it's I've tried. I've tried twice. I literally bought, oh God, me I, too. I bought an acoustic guitar just so I can learn to play it. And I was like, nope, I'm good. Yep, same. <laughs> I got a guitar just taking up dust. I have a banjo just taking up dust uh, because I would try them. And like, it's just it, I can't make it make sense in my brain. <laughs> Yeah, just can't do it. So this is like, this is a really cool story already, right from the get-go. He did have a, an older sister who played the piano, but um, again, he was just all self-taught, and I think it's, you know, uh, absolutely amazing. It reminds me of, uh, do you ever see what, Rocket Man, the Elton John movie? Oh, no, I didn't know if you meant that or uh, the... Uh, wasn't there another rocket man? It was like about a guy who flew around. Oh, I got the whole world. Yeah, I think something like that. Yeah. Something like that. No, no, no. So I didn't. I didn't see the Elton John one. Okay, I know that who was, Elton John is. That, that was a good one too. But it reminded me of that that he was self-taught in the piano, and then he went to a school to perfect it. And like after he had already learned how to play it, it was a natural talent. So. Um, but he went to college. He graduated from Kanagawa University with a degree in English. And uh, throughout that time, though, he played the keyboard, played in a bunch of amateur bands and uh, made music for television commercials, which is a really cool thing. I actually met somebody when I lived in Rochester who did that. Um, pretty neat, pretty neat stuff. They legit just writing music and, and composing it for like It was like, I thought that was the coolest thing. Uh, completely random meeting this person as well. Uh, when you met Sue, he was working at a music rental shop. So that's how he, was, um, he did his really post-college tenure, you know, between playing bands, uh, a square employee, square, square, soft, square, square Enix. Um, I think it was square soft back in the day, I think. But anyways, they walk up to uh, Yomatsu and they asked him if he was uh, interested in creating some music for some of the video games that they were working on. And he, uh, he ultimately agreed that it was a cool opportunity, but at the time he didn't take it very seriously. He's like, ah, it's a side. It's probably just some side work. He didn't think it was going to be a full time career. Yeah, some uh, side hustle type stuff. A little side hustle, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, he's like, yeah, it could be a nice way to make some music on the side, but uh, but yeah, he keeps his part time job at the music rental shop. 
So he starts working for them for Square in about 1985, and his very first video game soundtrack was uh, Cruise Chaser Blasty, 1986. I'm sure a uh, remember classic that, one, oh, yeah. that we all yeah. <laughs> it's my favorite. <laughs> it's my favorite game. That's one of my favorite things to do though is to find these artists that I really love and just really dive into their history and like I'll find their early like, work, oh, their early stuff especially. And like, man, I don't. How do I not know this? You know, right? It happens all the time. Very often, way more often than I think we realize. Um, so yeah, so he he met uh, Hinorobu Sakaguchi, who asked him if he wanted to create some music for some of the games, um, some more games, and he made music for games like King's Knight, 3D World Runner, and Rad Racer. Oh, uh, uh, side note: we literally just covered Rad Racer on Retro Bliss. It's coming out this. Well, it'll be out in a couple of days after this. Oh, it will. Yeah. Actually, no, I do remember you saying that you posted, you making a, you guys making a post about that. So that's small world. And we love the music, by the way. Wow. Well then, yeah. that worked out pretty good. Um, but this is where the spark really happened. So in 1987, uh, they well actually, obviously making the game before this, but Sakaguchi was ready to make his last uh, video game. There's been a lot of, uh, we'll call them busts. In the world of video games, where they were they were fun, but they weren't financially successful video games. And that last contribution for Square was Final Fantasy. All right, that's why it's called Final Fantasy. Uh, but Uematsu, he he was did the soundtrack for it, and it was Square's like breakout, like like huge, just biggest game. Okay, we have put him on the map, and. Uh, that game being as successful as it was with that musical score, it his it shot up Yomatsu's career like it just skyrocketed immediately after that. And he made music for I think let's see for over thirty titles. He did um, uh, Final Fantasy was obviously his big one. He did the first uh, saga. Uh, I'm not super familiar with it. Um, I think he did a oh yes he did. Um, yeah, again, a couple of Final Fantasy games. He did Chrono Trigger. Oh, that's a big one. Well, yeah. oh, he finished it. Excuse me. He finished the Chrono uh, Trigger soundtrack, and um, he did a couple other games. But, again, nothing ever was bigger than the Final Fantasy one. But um, he stayed busy, though. He, he stayed relatively busy. It wasn't just Final Fantasy games. His interest and being – his busyness, we'll say, uh, just skyrocketed from there. So he, he made uh, music for – uh, animated films, uh, a bunch of anime work, which is, you know, a, a big, a big one, uh, you know, especially in, in Japanese culture, it's a, it's a pretty oh, big yeah. one. Uh, but around 2004, he started 2003, 2004, he started to slow. I should, I should say 2001. Um, he started to wean off a little bit. Um, he just done so much when you make nine video games worth of, you know, nine solid final fantasy mainstream you know, series worth of video games, you kind of run out of ideas, right? It's it's like anything where if you're in one place for too long, you you get a little burned out. You get, you get a little burned out, and I get that, especially if he's doing so much other little stuff. And um, so, yeah, so one through nine were all him. And then once we got to Final Fantasy X, he started d- distributing responsibilities. He split with other composers, and uh, he started to kind of just go away. Um but something did cool happen in that time too. Around 2002, uh, there's a couple Square member, uh, fellow employees, Kenichiro Fukui, oh god, and Suyoshi Sakito, 
Um, they talked to you about to about forming a band and uh, a, a rock band, which is like, that sounds cool. Right. right? Japanese, like rock music. Like how cool oh, is yeah. that? And basically what it was, was it was a, they wanted to reinterpret Yomatsu's orchestral music into rock songs. And um, he, he said no at first. He eventually did it at a, for a live performance. And he goes, you know what? This is kind of fun. So, um, so they joined up with another guy, Mr. Matsushita. And um, they chose the name the Black Mages because that's a, uh, it's a character class in Final Fantasy. And that was, it, was, it became a pretty big thing. You can find a lot of the Black Mages albums on there, uh, on the internet. But Uematsu left Square Enix, Square Enix in 2004 and um, formed his own production company, Smile Please. And he later found his own music production company and record label called Dog Ear Records. And I think that's in his Twitter handle as well. Um, and people were like, why? Why is he leaving? You know, literally the goat of Final Fantasy orchestra music. And um, I guess Square moved their offices. And he just did not want to just at that point in his life, he did not want to switch, move the locations. He had done enough. Um, made a solid living and, um, and yeah, he's at the, he, he's, he quote, he quoted, he's quoted saying he had reached an age where he should gradually take his life into his own hands. Um, obviously he did not say that in English, so it wasn't a quote a verbatim. It was kind of a verbatim quote. I am not going to read Japanese for you at this <laughs> present time. Um, basically he was at the age where he, you know, he's kind of want to do whatever he wants to do. Correct. And everybody yeah. hits that point. Everybody oh, yeah. hits that point. I hit that pretty early. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. Um, but um, yeah, he, so he still did freelance work for Square Enix. So he wasn't completely under their, um, under their listing. But he, you know, he did, uh, he did the entire, him and the several, the Black Mages, they did the score for the Final Fantasy VII Advent Children movie which is literally all his music just re-envisioned his rock music. And it was really, really good movie. Um, and he just popped up. He did a main theme here. He did a theme here for various final fantasy games. And he did some other stuff. Um, let's see, not a whole lot of games I'm super familiar with, but, um, but yeah. So outside of that, um, he has some pretty cool accomplishments. He's appeared five times in the, in the top 20 of the annual classic FM hall of fame. So what the FM Hall of Fame is, everybody, is literally it's a annual compilation of the most popular 300 classical works music. OK, so guys like John Williams, John Barry uh, and Nobuo Yometsu have popped on well over, you know, over over time. They have 200,000 voters and um, and that's how it gets voted on every year. So every single year, there's a new one. In 2012, um, Aerith's theme, which was written for Final Fantasy VII, was voted into the number 16 position in that classic FM Hall of Fame top 300 chart, which is really cool because Aerith's theme came out in 1997 with Final Fantasy VII. And to be elected to that is like a piece of video game music is really, really cool. Um, but he's, you know, he it's appeared several times. It's it's appeared several other times, and he's done he's done very very well for himself. Um, he actually one of his songs were featured in the Olympics. I gotta double check the. Uh, I guess it's, yeah, we're doing something a little bit differently for the did you knows everybody today, just so you know. But um, yes, his. 
one of his Final Fantasy songs, Liberi Fatale, which was the intro for Final Fantasy VIII, was used in the synchronized swimming event at the Athens Olympic Games. So he's actually like he's probably one of the most mainstream video game composers out there is basically what we're trying to say. His music has has made it into, you know, sporting events and stuff like that. Um, And, you know, outside of all this, he's also a very busy family guy. Johnny, I think you're going to really like this aspect of him. Um, So you might he he grew up in he resides in Tokyo with his wife, Riku. They met during college and they have a beagle named Powell. They have a summer uh, cabin. And uh, and it's like a summer kid. Yes, summer. I mean, it's nice summer cabin in Yamanaka, not Yamanakako, Yamanashi. And he's actually a big. Guaranteed you said fan. that way. You guaranteed you'd say you said it way better than I ever would. I probably did. <laughs> pro wrestling fan, you say? Huge pro wrestling fan. He likes watching pro wrestling, drinking beer and bicycling. And I understand, right? We're in and out with pro wrestling here, but man, wrestling in Japan is so cool oh it's huge yeah he actually so this is a cool little did you know he actually stated that he originally wanted to become a professional wrestler and that was his dream career when he was younger that's cool it's really i relate to that yeah heck yeah so all right so yeah he's done pretty well for himself he actually went and traveled he did concerts they did like final fantasy orchestras and stuff they'd go around and and they they conduct concerts which is something i've always wanted to go and see um and he took a lot of influence um from other pieces he it's it's ranged so much he's just you know classic symphony pieces heavy metal new age rock techno all that stuff and that's i think that's where his strength is but he has a lot of musical influences for the united states and united kingdom and ironically enough i just you know just picking this up elton john is his biggest musical influence so um, his his play style and, and I guess variety, if you really think about Elton John's body of work, yeah. um, it's all over the place. Uh, love the Beatles, Emerson, Lake and Palmer, Simon and Garfunkel, a lot of progressive rock bands. And he said 70s were pretty big with Pink Floyd and King Crimson and uh, the One Winged Angel song, which is mo- his most famous piece. I was inspired by the Jimi Hendrix song Purple Haze and oh, eventually, yeah. yeah, which is really neat and i'm just learning this as we go um but yeah he's done uh he's done a he's, he's done some some damn good work in his life so um so yeah so that is uh so there's nabuo yometsu's life in a uh personal life in a nutshell let's head on over to matt's stats <laughs> everybody welcome to the matt stats portion of this show and uh yeah 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 new Mets was awesome all right so let's go take a look at his uh his net worth first and foremost his net worth is about four million dollars which um power to him yeah yeah well a lot of people get net worth and, and earnings and stuff like they get that this can be different but yeah yes they are different um so from what i understand he's his annual salary is about 400,000, like his salary income uh, from his main body of work, um, about 400,000 a year. And then of course, concerts and all the additional stuff um, goes pretty well, but 
Yeah, somebody averaged it yeah. out. He makes like eight thousand dollars a week. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's. I'd take that any day. Any day. Heck take yeah. That. Heck yeah. So, but yeah, not worth his $4 million. That's, that's pretty cool there. Um, and his best-selling you gotta, albums. Oops, Matt, you got to make that, you got to make that money to take care of that summer kid. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Got to take care of the summer kid. Uh, <laughs> so he did really well for himself amongst the, uh, you know, those, those early final fantasy albums. And you can definitely tell that there's a huge drop off in sales after he left so one uh, so we, like we said he did one through nine first uh you know full time then he dipped in dabbled in 10 he might have dabbled in 10 too and he did a couple other ones but um his best selling album and this is just for soundtracks the sales numbers in japan it doesn't um it doesn't account for sales in the united states united kingdom stuff like that so his best selling album is my personal favorite final fantasy game uh, Final Fantasy VIII with 844,257 sales, um, which is significantly higher than everything else. Uh, Final Fantasy VII series, so that's the original Final Fantasy VII. Um, you know, some of the spinoff games that came from it, that's the second most, 554.7 uh, thousand sales. Um, overall, though, overall, uh, I'm not going to run through every single number of it, but um, again, after that Final Fantasy VIII, sales number it dropped down to the 200 thousands um it was it was a steep drop overall yeah. his in japan 4.19 million um albums sold it well just, man, a lot of people were probably just downloading them illegally that's probably a bit too I, I don't know who would do something like that you know quite cruel yeah um <laughs> that's why you only do that from bands like metallica you know? <laughs> Uh, he has 67 composer credits all right and from what i read earlier um with the between final fantasy and other video game compilations he has a total of like 111 mainline albums 111 yeah 111 mainline there's a couple spinoffs so like final fantasy 9 there was the one i had where it was like one disc of the best of the best and then there was a comp. There was a huge, like a like a four disc compilation where it had everything to it. Um, that sort of thing comes into play with these some of these numbers. But yeah, at least 111 base albums, if that makes any sense. Um, oh man, he did Barkley shut up and jam. He did so. He did. Oh, so did cool. he? he did. Oh man, I I got really excited. Now that's a game that I played the freaking crap out of. <laughs> oh, it's a newer one from 2008. Oh. oh. I didn't Guided. know one in 2008. What? A, a, hold on. Hold on. Yeah, there's a newer Barkley and uh, Barkley Shut Up and Jam. Guided. That's got to be false. <laughs> I, it's on IMDb. Oh, it's, man. It's real. Um, that is cool. So, yeah, he did He did some things, like, stuff like that. Um, that was pretty much all I found on his some of his statistics. Like I said, it's a... Uh, there's, I mean, a, a ton. His body of work is legendary Japan, and many do compare him. I know I said I have him in like John Williams, like one A, one B, or one and two, but uh, they they consider him to be up there with John Williams as far as overall talent 
and body of work for and, and influence on the industry as well. Yeah. Like how cool is that? A complete accident, right? It's always weird how things happen like that. When you're not even trying to be like a, a, a legendary music video game creator, you become a legendary music video game creator. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it's, it's wild. It takes me back to thinking like my pro wrestling days where, wow, I would have been, I would have had a better shot of going to WWE if I had not done independent pro wrestling and just stayed in college. Cause that's where they get a lot of their talent now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of one of those things. It's so weird when you're not trying hard to do something, it usually yeah. gets you, but um, usually another, usually you're on one path and another path kind of presents itself. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So um, so that is that everybody. That is the match stats portion of the show. Let's head on over to Johnny's. Did you know? a little differently i'm gonna give you a couple of did you knows about just video game music in general but then we're going to end this on on a really fun note here with me and matt so uh all right so did you know that actually most video game music does not pay royalties like you just have the contract and what you get paid is what you get paid with no royalties on top of that uh, which is in the music industry is very odd because most of it is tons of royalties and stuff like that. Right. Uh, the original Metroid, when it was uh, when it came out, it has a very incredible, by the way, uh, but moody soundtrack. And this is early in Nintendo's run with their new Nintendo Entertainment System. Nintendo themselves hated that soundtrack <laughs> because it was so dreary, <laughs> and they wanted, uh, but. It would go on to be like one of the top video game soundtracks of all time. Uh, let's talk about this, man. I guarantee you you've heard about this because you're a giant Pokemon fan. Oh, yeah. Uh, Lavender Town. Have you heard about that urban legend? Yes, I have. All right. So we're going to kind of talk about it a little bit. So according to the urban legend, there's a theme that will play uh, when you're playing Pokemon. I don't remember which one of the games. It's one of the earlier games. It's the uh, first one. It's the first one. The first one. Okay. Yeah. And there's a town called Lavender Town. And when you get there. This this tune plays, and according to legend, it affected some children so so terribly that they would go on and do uh, they would harm themselves pretty much. Yes, uh, that's the myth that these claims were never founded. The you can search it all you want. However, those <laughs> this myth took on such a life of its own and got so big. That Nintendo would actually go in later and change how the tracks sound, uh, because just purely based on this myth that would go around, because everybody would would bring this up and talk about it. Yeah, it's a little. There's a little bit of difference between the blue and red version, and I believe the yellow, yellow, and and I think it's some later versions as well. There's a little little bit of difference to it. Apparently, it was some kind of rhythm, rhythmic beat that right incited harmful thoughts in it, which is crazy like it's it's it really makes you think um uh, you know but it 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 just this like rage it triggered something in these in these kids memory or this brains allegedly and caused them to harm themselves and it's not super far-fetched because 
in a lot of industries, they do use music to affect people's actions. Uh, you know, if you go to a grocery store or something, that music they're playing is on purpose. Right. Because uh, they have done studies and the stuff like that. Uh, uh, side note, I worked at a grocery store. It's one of my first jobs I ever had. I worked at it while I was going to high school. And um, it really makes you hate uh, music because it plays the same songs uh, again and again and again and again. <laughs> uh yeah okay uh six pence none the richer uh i made me hate them and it's not their fault all right did michael jackson compose some of the sonic the hedgehog 3 soundtrack that's a big uh thing that goes around uh michael jackson was a really big fan of the sonic the hedgehog games he loved them sega did bring him out to their studios to check out um the, the next Sonic game, because he talked about loving it so much. Uh, and while many do state that he goes uncredited, because this was also during a time where, uh, you know, he's going through some, man, how do I put this nicely? Some legal trouble. There we go. Yeah. Uh, due to some accusations, we'll say that. We'll put it that way. Hee <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Or her, her. we don't know. <laughs> or them, them. You know, we represent everybody here. Uh, his involvement was actually denied by senior Sega staff. They say he wasn't really that involved with it. He just loved Sonic and wanted to check out. And they, and while he was there, they showed him what all they had done with Sonic Three so far. I heard a couple. Yeah, I heard a couple different things with it. I heard that there were songs recorded. And yeah, I've heard that too. The legal, yeah. the, the legal trouble happened, and they distanced themselves from him, but they still took the music. Um, but yep. he did do, I think, one of the later games he ended up doing something for. Well, he has his own game too. Just a side note, Moonwalker. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, all right. So now we're going to have some fun, Matt. We're going to do a top five, me and you both, of our personal top five favorite video game soundtracks. Our personal ones. I figured we just count down. We'll start at five, go down to one. Sure. And we'll just go back and forth here. So number five for me is the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3 Manhattan Project for NES. Perfect. That soundtrack is just so incredible and ingrained in me because that's the game that I would go to Trevor's house when we were growing up and me, him, and his brother Derek would just play this game like ridiculous amount of times so that soundtrack is just ingrained in my skull and side note i am super excited that they announced that they're bringing all those old ninja turtle games back i know we gotta wait it seems like forever but yeah yeah but i'm I'm very excited about it what's your number five my number five uh is i'm gonna go super mario 64 oh man super mario 64 i like the variety of it um there's a lot of various songs for it. My favorite song is the, I think it's like Dire Dire Docks. It's the water level. You know what I mean? And beautiful rendition. But uh, that's Perfect probably, yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's definitely a top five. I reference it. I like the play. I, I just, I, I like that era of music. Yeah. It sounds kind of, it doesn't sound crappy, but it just sounds like it belongs in that era, if that makes any sense to you. Right. Yeah. Um, it just sounds like it belongs there. The sound, everything the, the yeah, it's, it's number five easily. All right. So yeah. So my number four kind of backtracking on what you just did, obviously the Mario games have iconic tunes in them. Right. Uh, I mean, 
good gosh, just from the first Mario game, even it kind of just starts out from there. So I was like, I have to have a Mario game on my list because Mario is such a big part of me. And uh, I was like, well, my, one of my all-time favorite games is Mario 3 for the NES. And that soundtrack is, as the kids say, a banging. So I went with Mario <laughs> 3 for the NES. Uh, I still listen to Great it today. One. Really, really love it. What's your number four? My number four is, uh, this is where I'm going to put the Pokemon, those early Pokemon albums. Um yellow blue and red they're mostly the same aside from like a few tweaks but um but yeah it just my thing was i watched the cartoon first played the game second so i heard those songs on the cartoon then i got to hear them in their little like 8 bit 16 whatever the heck the great the game boy specs were i get to yeah. hear i get to hear them like that and i was like wow that's cool it was really neat to just hear them both the way they were i even still i listen actually prefer the game boy versions better than the cartoon ones if that makes any sense no i get it I, yeah. i'll listen to the ones on youtube like they got the osts on youtube and I, i'd rather listen to the video game ones than the, the cartoon ones in some instances i get it i get it all right my number three is uh, i had to pick one of the halo games uh so I went with halo 2 though honestly you can pretty much put any of them here uh, those soundtracks are incredible uh very much make moods and stuff for you uh i love the halo games to start with and uh, these were soundtracks that i would search out because i liked them so much right so i had to go with halo 2 and on a side note uh halo infinite that just came out like late last year i've been enjoying it quite a bit but there's a multiplayer map and it, it has an arcade in it and you can go to the arcade and if you listen if you're not getting shot at and you can listen by some of the arcade machines and one of them will play like an eight bit tune of the halo theme and it okay. is incredible yeah <laughs> that's really that's neat. cool that's really right, what's neat. your what's your number three my number three is uh the resident evil 2 soundtrack uh i, I mean there's a you don't really think of resident evil games that they, and and be like oh wow music because the gameplay is so terrifying but resident evil 2 for me really did a good job of illustrating the loneliness of being around zombies so to speak um it, it was it, it really cool it helped it's it helped set the mood for the game being in a big empty police station being underground not knowing what's around the corner so yeah i'm gonna go resident evil 2 nice nice uh i for my number two i'm gonna go with bioshock uh i freaking love these games first of all the first bioshock well all of them but the first bioshock and bioshock infinite both have incredible soundtracks and side note uh some of the best stories in any video game ever 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 i would throw them up there especially infinite it's uh it dropped my made my jaw drop plenty of times but uh i pre-ordered bioshock and it came with the score to it but also on top of that it has like old songs from like the thirties and forties in it too. Yes. Cause I yes. helped set the mood for the, for the show uh, for me, for the game. And it's so incredibly well done. You know, somewhere over the sea, you know, that those <laughs> kind of things. And it's just incredible. So Bioshock is my number two. What about you, Matt? Uh, my number two, I'm going to go with uh, Nobuyo Metsu's work. One, the, the top two are going to be his uh, final fantasy eight which is my favorite Final Fantasy game, but my second favorite Final Fantasy album. It is, uh, it, it is 
it's beautiful, man. It's it's a beautiful thing, top to bottom. The storyline, I probably listen to that one the most, even though I don't think it has the best songs. Um, I listen to that one the most because it's a lot more casual. Um, there's a, the relaxing songs are so relaxing. The, the fighting songs are intense, passionate, um, really good pieces of work, and I get all sorts of different, you know, experience all sorts of different moods and emotions listening to it. So Final Fantasy VIII is uh, my number two. We're having the, on my end. I'm having some technical difficulties here, so just bear with us. Uh, you keep freezing on me, Matt. Video or audio? Uh, video. Your audio is just fine. <laughs> okay. No, my it's 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 me. My computer gets it's like that. You're good. You're good. Okay. All right. Uh, number one for me is the Sonic the Hedgehog two soundtrack. Uh, this one I will still search out and listen to today i'm very excited about the sonic 2 movie by the way because yes uh, tails is one of my favorite video game characters of all time very excited that he's showing up uh but sonic 2 especially the mystic cave i could listen to the mystic cave theme over and over and over and over again it's incredible but track in video games what about you matt um yeah that one's that one slaps that's a good one uh yeah my final one is Final Fantasy Seven. That's in Final Fantasy Seven one. That one has the best. Really, like the the three of my favorite Final Fantasy songs are on that album. So, um, so yeah, that's another frequent listen to. That's one of the ones that I mean, all of these I'll shamefully listen to out loud in public. But that one, I, I gotta I gotta turn it up. I gotta turn it up. So Final Fantasy Seven is my my number one. All right. Well, uh, what are your uh, top fives? Let us know. Uh, these are fun. Uh, so uh, you know. I even left. This was hard for me because, like, I you know, I love Zelda games music too, and I didn't have any of those on my list, and it felt wrong. <laughs> uh, but that was the. Did you know, Matt? Let's get to where Naboo stands in, and I didn't even try to say his last name because I would destroy it, and I would feel bad about myself. Uh, let's get to where he uh, he stands in pop culture today. So where I think Nobuo Yomatsu fits today, I'm a little worried about his legacy. And I, and I don't mean that because of anything he did, but just name name wise. Right. I, I think we forget about composers more often than we should. Uh, his body work is, again, legendary. We can't we can't talk about it enough. He, his songs are iconic and everybody who's played a Final Fantasy game will forever remember who he is. But. There's a lot. There's a large group of people who have never played a Final Fantasy game, and that's what worries me about his legacy. I mean, people like myself, people who you know, eventually Final Fantasy, like those those era games are going to sound or going to be retro games, considered retro games officially. And people who go and replay those games 10, 20, 30 years down the road are going to remember him. But other than that, it's I'm a little worried about what his legacy is. But his impact is huge. He he made I, I, to me he mainstreamed. Japanese pop culture music, right? It, it, 
Japan, Japanese stuff had a, had a hard time translating to American as far as catching like a massive eye. I know Dragon Ball Z came around in the late 80s, amongst other things. But I feel like Yometsu's his, his albums, his music bridged the gap and, and helped make people be ready to accept it. If I'm trying to see how I word this. Um, I worded this correctly, but his stuff was never like, it never just sounded like it didn't have like this Japanese Tokyo style music play. It was well-rounded where I feel like if you listen to it, no matter where you listen to in the world, you could appreciate it. Um, And I thought it, you know, I I thought it was superb. So I, I think it's up to people in this generation who have played those games to, I guess, you know, just, just tell everybody else and educate him about his legacy. That's where that's pretty much where I stand. I, I kind of think that as long as uh, we keep making some video games that kind of have a narrative to them uh, that need a soundtrack, that his influence will definitely be felt. So I think his influence will be around for quite a while, but where I kind of agree with you, where it comes to being a little worried about uh, video game soundtracks in general, if I'm being honest, is that uh, most games today are the ones that are big are multiplayer games, and I'm listen when I'm saying this, this is the you know this is I'm just as guilty as this. I play all kinds of multiplayer games. I'm a big uh, I love those, uh, so I'm just as guilty when I'm bringing this up. But a lot of those, uh, it's way more about the game experience. I mean, the music can. Um, you know, a lot of times you're either going to be talking to your friends and stuff when you're playing, and it right. doesn't really matter. Just kind of, and honestly, now a lot of the games that I play, like uh, NBA 2K or something like that, they have a soundtrack that's full of artists that's just not for me. So I actually just listen to a podcast while I'm playing games a lot now. Uh, that's kind of what I do. Oh, a podcast okay. where I put them on music. Uh, so, and I know I'm not alone in that. I know a lot of people who do that. Uh, so when it comes to that, it does worry me a little bit. But I do think that as long as we keep having these uh, big games, because we do keep having big games that are like a narrative game that'll come out and it has a really great soundtrack on top of that. I think as long as those games kind of keep happening, and I feel they will, uh, at least for a good while, uh, that will that his influence will definitely be felt because you can't make a soundtrack for a, a story-driven game and not think about how the music affects it and, and adds to it, so... Uh, and that's definitely where his legend will shine, I feel. No, I certainly agree. I certainly agree. Well, everybody, that is it for this week's episode on Nobuo Uematsu. Next time when we come back, we have a brand new month and a brand new theme. We are revisiting pop culture um, events. Pop culture events is what we're going to be doing. So Johnny has choice. And Johnny, what are, you, uh, what are we going to be talking about? Well, let's. Let's, let's bring in the bone chilling elements and let's talk about the and this was huge because uh, it was a book that did really well and it's been a couple movies especially that first movie did super well let's talk about the amityville horror that's what we're going to talk about next time on a very uh haunted retro bliss I mean, retro bliss retro pop which podcast <laughs> am I on anymore i don't even know Cause honestly, this is a history groups topic as well. So. It is. It is. 
Yeah, you, I don't know where you went with that one, but thank you so much, Bye-bye. everybody. <laughs> thank you so much, everybody. We appreciate you as always, and uh, we'll talk to you next time right here on Retro Pop.